0: people here have some special plans for today or uh, if not plans then certainly telephone conversations or other things and may this be a special day for our families it's always important to uh, think about that and to and to remember uh, the great landmarks that you've placed in life and uh, so we thank you for that and uh, we thank you for the book of 2nd Peter we thank you for the things that we've been able to to look at and and uh, seek to be reminded of and we know that's a great burden that Peter has that we are reminded continually reminded of important truth would you help this morning in that Lord would you first of all quiet our hearts help us to to put aside those things that may be important to us later today but that we don't really have need of thinking about now particularly if they would distract us from uh, what you have brought us here for and uh, help us, Lord, even in our weakness and infirmity. For anybody who's tired today, for anybody who has other considerations or concerns, just bless us and give us a special ability, both now in ABF and then in the uh, services to follow, to focus and to uh, enter into the worship in the way that would honor and please you. And again, Father, uh, bless uh, the other classes, bless Brother Ron Glass here uh, as he uh, teaches today, and Patrick, uh, I think Patrick said he'd be away after today, so this will be his his last opportunity with that group I pray you'll bless him in a special way today and then be with us for we pray these things now in Jesus wonderful name amen well it doesn't take too much to figure out that we're at the end of second Peter and I want to just say this again so that you're not worried or so you say well class is over where am I supposed to do or go or what am I supposed to do next week come here that <laughs> is because we are going to do something and I would really appreciate your prayer I've said that before but I started out with one idea of something that I thought I might do, and now I have four. And so I keep, I keep noodling on those things, jotting some things down on paper, and, and I realize, uh-oh, now I'm at the end, and I have to decide this week. And uh, so uh, you just pray, and, and, but we will be doing something related to our series here and using that as a way to finish, to, uh, finish off what we've been doing. All right, so today we are at lesson 11 and we do have 12, so that's kind of what I've just been talking about. But this brings us right to the end of the book. So I'm gonna, one more time at least, uh, I say it that way because I don't know totally what I'll do next week yet. But One more time at least, let's sort of just get the idea of where we are and what ground we've been over and what we're doing today because this is kind of the end and this is important to see how Peter summarizes this burden that we have in chapter 3. All right, so first of all, please remember the theme that we've been talking about, sufficiency of faith, but going beyond that to make sort of a thesis statement out of that so that we have a practical takeaway to say that the Bible is sufficient for faith. How is that demonstrated in the book? Well, in chapter number 1, because we see that the Bible tells us everything we need to know to be a flourishing Christian. Remember that thing where it talks about add to your faith and all of this, and it talks about if you do these things, you won't be unfruitful and all of this. So we get the distinct picture of growing there. That's a concept we're going to come back to today and talk about in today's lesson. Growing, if these things be in you and abound, he said, and we talked about growing your faith in that chapter. So, for that reason, first of all, the Bible is also sufficient for faith because it warns us of the attack to come. So that's chapter 2, and uh, that's where Peter really gets down into the brass tacks of dealing with these false teachers. And the, the last section, verses 10 through 22, is just it's brutal as he describes who they are, what they are, and exposes them there. But look at the way this ends. It ends with Peter turning... Particularly now, back to his audience, we have these four instances of beloved, and uh, I like to call it the beloved bees. That's not original with me, but you have four exhortations, each of them introduced by the word beloved. And uh, So today you see what we're looking at here, but what we're, what we're looking at here is the Bible is also sufficient for faith because it tells us how to maintain our steadfastness to to how to be how to remain steadfast in Christ and that is so important so looking at this today um, if we say beloved beware and you're looking down at your text so let me do a little bit of explanation you don't see the word beware what you see is this you therefore beloved knowing this beforehand it's translated here by ESV take care take care is fine my personal opinion of that is that it works it's accurate but it's a little bland um, I would like something that brings out the significance of this just a little more than what the idea of take care. I guess I'm used to take care in, in, a, in a different context. You know, you see people and you get ready to say goodbye or something like that, you say, take care. Take care. Well, I mean, yeah, it's just a common way, so it, it's, it's kind of become maybe not so robust as what Peter is really talking about here, because the word he uses here is a word that means to be on guard. In fact, the noun form of that, the very verb that we have in this, thats translated take care, the noun form of that is for a watchman. So, think about what a watchman does. If you're a watchman, you're constantly on guard. In this case, though, it's a self-watch. And that's a really important concept in our Christian lives. I mean, it's important for us to watch. Elders, church leaders, they have a responsibility to watch for the flock. But each of us as a believer has a a self-watch responsibility, and that's what Peter is talking about here. Now, when we talk about steadfast, I think it's important to kind of go back and see where this concept starts in the book. And again, I'm using the word steadfast uh, for our idea here. And um, so ESV uses at the end here of verse number 17, stability. So that's our word and I guess I'm a creature of habit, but I like beware, which is what the King James uses, or you could say, uh, go on, it's a self-watch, you know, take watch for yourselves, or this, this is kind of the idea there, beware it works well. But that translation stability, I mean that's a that's actually a very accurate translation, but it just it's one of those things. Have you ever noticed sometimes you get a word that's very accurate, but it just doesn't, it it you can't have a trouble getting traction with it. Have a trouble kind of getting a hold of a concept in it. I like steadfast because I think we understand that maybe a little bit better, but if we go back to chapter one, verse twelve, in first or second Peter rather, which is obviously what we're studying. This is the kind of the first time we come up on this. And it's translated established in this verse where he says therefore I intend always so, uh, so remind you uh, uh, to remind you of these qualities though you know them and are established in the present truth. And you may not recall this, but when we were looking at that verse, I made the comment, well, you know really Peter is sort of paying a bit of a compliment to his readers here. He's assuring them that he's not he's not Castigating them. He's not feeling that they have slipped away or lost their steadfastness at this point. But when we get to the end of the book, now the concern is all right, you're in a good situation right now. You're doing what you're supposed to be doing right now. But six months from now, will you be doing that? And that's something that. we can never take for granted i'm thinking of a bible character who did exactly that he took for granted that six months he'd always be doing the same thing he was doing now samson and he wasn't he wasn't he didn't maintain that self-watch he didn't take care he didn't beware and so he got himself into a situation where i think we could quite accurate, accurately say he lost his own steadfastness. So I was, went back and forth between about three or four thoughts to try to give you something. What is this steadfastness that we're talking about? What can we do to kind of get a grip on this? What can we do to kind of understand this? And I thought of an example in the Bible, and I think I mentioned this once before, but I'm gonna turn back and read this for you because I don't have this there. But in the book of Exodus chapter 17, I like this because this is a good biblical analogy that we can use. But so in Exodus chapter 17, you have that situation where Israel has an early battle and they have this battle with the Amalekites. Verse 8 says, then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. Verse 10 says, so Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. So the battle goes on. And then we get down to verse number 12 and it says, but Moses' hands grew weary. So they took a stone and put it under him. So that's the first thing we've got. Thinking about stability. Remembering how the ESV translated that, stability. So he's got a stone under him. That's a solid foundation, right? But then what does it say? His arms got weary. And what we're told is, is that Israel prevailed when Moses had his arms outstretched like this. Well, you can do this for 30 seconds. But you'd be surprised how heavy your arms get if you keep on doing this. I mean, it's, it's really kind of amazing. And I guess because we don't typically you know, do this for long periods of time, it's, it's often a gesture. But his arms got weary and so they began to flag and when that happened, then Israel was sort of pushed back by the Amalekites. So they brought out Aaron and Hur. What does it say? They took a stone and put it under him and he sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands one on one side and one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. So since there are three things, a stone under him and then someone for support on either side, this is really a good illustration for the simple reason, and I don't know if you'd recall this, I think if I say it, you will. I've told you now this word, this whole word group, whether it's a verb or a noun, whether it's translated established, stability, steadfast, comes from a root that means a prop, which is exactly what you have here because he was like this, his arms got weary and so he needed a prop. And beloved, don't don't react in pride to that. It's, it's not wrong for us to realize what God is saying to us, as you know, He has designed certain things to prop us up so that we remain steadfast and committed moving forward in our Christian experience. Well, there were three things there, a stone and then two guys on either side for props. So it's tempted to talk about the illustration of the three-legged stool, but instead I want you to think about a chair. And I digress a little bit, I'm spending more time here, but I just think it's important because You have to go away with something practical. You have to understand what we're talking about and just not be mouthing words. Oh, steadfast, yeah, I know what that is. Well, okay, good. So let's think about not a three-legged stool, but let's think about a chair. So later today, now I don't mean to distract you and do the very thing I just prayed we wouldn't do, but later today, you'll go home and have Sunday dinner or you'll go out and have Sunday dinner or whatever. And you'll sit in a chair and unless you have just a, like a bar stool kind of a thing or something like that, even some of those have four, but you're gonna have a chair with four legs, right? Four legs. Now, if you knock one of those legs out, will the chair stand there? It, it may. But if you sit in it, it's not stable, is it? It's not stable. And so, if we were gonna try to come up with four things so th- th- this is not a list in the Bible, this is not an inspired thing, I just, it's just something practical to leave with you. We were going to come up with four things, if I were going to, here's, here's what comes to mind to mention to you this morning. First of all, the Word. If we don't stay in the Word, we won't remain steadfast. Secondly, fellowship. If we don't expose ourselves, if we don't go out of our way, and some of us, Personality-wise, are more inclined to do this than others, and um, but God made us social creatures, and that doesn't change because we're Christians, and so we have to nurture our Christian experience with good fellowship. That's the second thing, second leg. Then this is maybe something that would catch you by surprise, but. I have found from observation and practical experience how important this is, but then service. It really helps when we engage in service for the Lord of some kind. There's something about that that just helps to keep your spiritual progress moving forward. Now, that's, so you say, well, okay, we got the three-legged stool, that's three. No, I'm going to add a fourth. Because can you tell me, in the wisdom of God, what institution He's established that fosters, in a special way, the three things I just mentioned, opportunities to be in the word, opportunities for service, and opportunities for fellowship, and what's that? The church, and you can be in the word apart from the church, and you can have fellowship apart from the church, and you can serve apart from the church, but God in his wisdom gave us the church to uniquely encourage us and facilitate those things. So if you think about, all right, if I walk out of this class What can I take away and what can I do and how can I sort of ward off this tendency to slip, to lose my own stability? Well, think about those things and think about the four legs of a chair. All right, so what I want to do today is I want to talk about, I just want to use two common sayings in order to see what does Peter tell us, how does he present this now? So the first one of those is forewarned is forearmed, okay, not original but we know what it means. Forewarned is forearmed. And where do we find that in the verse? Well, I mean, it's staring us right in the face, right there in verse number 17. So, have a look. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. so In so many ways, what he's saying is, now, I've warned you. I've warned you. All right, let's think about this for a moment. First of all, within the context of the book, I think you could could arguably say that every chapter in this book is doing precisely that. Let's go back to chapter one. I picked one verse from each chapter because we can't take a long time, but I want to show you this. This is a great burden that he has. Back in chapter one, verse number 16, he's talking about these false teachers, though he really hasn't gotten into the nitty gritty of it yet when he says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised myths when we made known unto you the power and coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. When you get to chapter 2, then, he really starts to get down to the nuts and bolts and says in verse number 1, But false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. What will they do? who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. What do we have in chapter 3? Look at verse 3. Knowing this first of all. And he even says in verse number 2, don't forget, I'm reminding you, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing following their own sinful desires. So we can't say we haven't been warned. Arguably, the whole letter deals with this because the whole letter is written against the backdrop of this attack from the church by the, on the church by these false teachers. Something else that's rather interesting, sort of helps you maybe just take away a little more insight into us. The word in the original that's translated knowing this before is the word that we get our English English word prognosis from. And most of us are familiar with a prognosis. If not with ourselves, then certainly other people. Sometimes that word comes up in a more serious context let's kinda go to a serious context you go to the doctor he's run some tests and he says I really hate to be the one to tell you this but you have cancer and if you wanted to interact with him using medical jargon you might say well what's my prognosis what would you be asking him for you'd be asking him to tell you what you can expect coming ahead What's it going to be like? Okay, I have this particular kind of cancer. What can I expect? What's life expectancy? What are treatments? Right? So we're familiar with this. A prognosis. This is what Peter has done. He's given to the church, and more particularly to his readers, but to the church via this letter, us, today, a prognosis. This is what you can expect as the church age unfolds. And it isn't going to get any better at the end, beloved, because we know at the end, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And so it's in the light of this. I've given you this prognosis. Now, what are you going to do about it? Because there might be, because this is another question you might ask about my prognosis, you say, are, are there any things I can do? Maybe it's a different diagnosis. Maybe he says you've got a heart condition. Maybe he says you've got some arteries blocked. And so you say, well, is there anything I can do? And he said, well, yeah, if you'd quit eating six Big backs a week, that'd really help. So, that might be part of it as well. And so, this is Peter now. What does he say to do now? I've given you this prognosis. What does he say to do? And he says to take care. Or, as I've told you before, literally this would come out as keep on guarding yourselves. Because it's the idea of a watching as a guard might watch. Keep on guarding yourselves. And the reason that I translate it that way is because it is in the present tense. So here's the point with that. It's not like you can be on guard today but not on guard tomorrow. It's like you have to be on guard all the time. And one of the reasons for this, of course, is what he gets into next because we live in a lawless culture. So you'll notice what he says towards the end of the verse. He says, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. So if we don't do this, if we don't follow this prognosis, if we don't take heed, if we don't keep on guarding ourselves, I will will say something. It isn't just possible, it's predictable. It's predictable that we will be influenced by the lawless culture in which we live. And the end result of that, if that goes too far, is we lose our own stability. We lose our spiritual momentum. Another word we sometimes use is it's very easy to slip away and to backslide. Now, let's see a little something about this. This word, carried away, he says, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away. That's really interesting. That word occurs only one other, that noun occurs only, or'm sorry verb, occurs only one other time in the New Testament and it occurs in Galatians 2:13. Why that's helpful to say, that's not just a little Bible trivia fact. that's actually very germane and helpful to this discussion because that Galatians 2:13 actually gives us an illustration of exactly what we're talking about. So, you don't have to turn. We're going to look at those verses, though. It literally means to lead away along with. So, ago, when you look at that compound there, it's actually a double compound. Ago is to lead. The AP that you see there in the middle, apa is away from, to lead away from, and soon is with, or together with, or along with. So, in other words, it's You get caught up in a swiftly running current, and the current is the culture. The current is the people around, how they think, how they talk, what they do, what they influence you to do. Let's look at our illustration. So here it is, and I've given you a couple of surrounding verses so that we can see this. Now, when Cephas, who's that? Peter, who wrote this letter? Okay. Just want to be sure now that Cephas didn't throw us off. This is Peter. So don't think this isn't in his mind when he writes this. When Peter came to Antioch, I, who's that? Paul, opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles, but when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Judaizers. So what happened? He fell from his own steadfastness. He got carried away. These people came in. They were strong in their influence. And even though Peter had come to the position that, just like in Acts 10 with Cornelius, he sees the sheet come down three times. It has all manner of unclean animals in it. God chose him that Don't call anything unclean that I've called clean. And he realizes the import of that. He goes and fellowships with Cornelius. He's come to this position, but yet now somehow he's drifted away from this. He's been influenced by people. Now watch watch the next because there's another illustration. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray. There's our term. That's it. It's translated led astray here and carried away with in 2 Peter 2 3.17. I want to point out something to you here. Barnabas and Peter were not exactly spiritual lightweights. So if this could happen to Barnabas or it could happen to Peter, don't you think it would be wise for us to Realize that we might be subject to this as well, and that's why Peter's exhortation: you have to constantly keep up this self-watch, and it's difficult to do. But this is this is what he's warning about here. So Peter is writing from painful experience; it's happened to him, and I don't want to get too far into this. But it's really interesting to chase this word around in Peter's life that he uses frequently in his letters about being established confirmed steadfast that word that I told you before that has prop as its root meaning because if you go back do I have this yeah if you go back to Luke 22:32, 32 let me tell you what the context here is this is the night of betrayal this is the Thursday night before the crucifixion they're in the garden Jesus warns him. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired that he have you, that he may sift you as wheat. This says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned again, here it's translated strengthen, Prop up the brethren. Help the brethren be steadfast. That's the same word. So when Peter writes this, you can imagine for him, it has some color to it. This is not just some... Word that means nothing to Peter. This is a word that's had a, a an impact in his life, and he knows what he's talking about when he tells other believers, "You have to watch yourself. If you don't watch yourself, you can slip away from your own steadfastness." It happened to me, and as I say there, back in the point that I'm trying to make here, it's arguable that this other occasion, not the occasion in Acts that we looked at, or yeah, you know, in Galatians that we looked at, not that occasion. But on this earlier occasion, on the night of Jesus' betrayal, it's arguable there that you could trace that to bad influence as well. Because look at these other verses. Um, So what was happening just after that happened, he said to him, Peter followed at a distance, this is Mark 14, 54, right into the courtyard of the high priest, and he was sitting with whom? the guards, not his fellow disciples, not people that could help him be strong, but people whose, they were on the opposite team. These are the, this is the opposite team. These are the people that mocked Jesus, that were part of all of that. And then you get down to 67, and it's, it's a little more, uh, in Mark's gospel doesn't give you quite the fle- feel for this that one of the others, but seeing Peter warming himself, She looked at him, this was the the young maiden, and said, you were also with the Nazarene Jesus. And then what happened? Did he fall from his own steadfastness? Oh, my soul. He denied. He denied the Lord. So it's arguable that you could could trace this to bad influence in all these cases. And then we have some other scriptures. And these are ones that we've we've known and known and known. But again, whether you know it and whether you... Keep it in mind and follow It's a different thing. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You really have to be careful the company you keep. And, of course, when Paul was writing to the Corinthians, and they weren't careful about that, so they got involved with some of these false teachers who denied the resurrection. Then Paul had to write, I guess, in some ways, God overrules our weaknesses and failings sometimes for his own glory because we got the resurrection chapter out of that, 1 Corinthians 15. But one of the things he says to them in here is, be not deceived, bad company ruins good morals. This is the culture. Look what he, The way he characterizes this in verse 17 is he says, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. Now, we've seen that word lawless before. Let's go back. Chapter 2, I want to show you where it occurs. Verse 6, if by turning, I'm sorry, yeah, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Ungodly. And then it says, in verse 7, and if he rescued righteous Lot, distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, For as long as that righteous man lived among them, day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Well, in that context of chapter number two, he uses that word again. Two times in the letter he uses it. Once here in 17, and he's actually got two words for lawless here, but he uses that word too. So, let me ask you a question. Can you think of anybody, that illustration that he's giving there comes from Sodom, right? With me? Who got carried away with the lawless culture in Sodom? Lot. Lot lost his own steadfastness. Whatever Lot had when he went there, I mean, he was safe with Abraham, right? When he was out there on the pilgrim pathway with Abraham, he was safe but he pitched his tent towards Sodom. The next thing you turn around, you find him he's in the gate of Sodom. Next thing you know, he's lost his family. And it's because he didn't do what Peter, and I'm not pointing a finger at Lot without realizing you got three coming back at yourself the moment you start pointing at someone else. But he didn't maintain that self-watch. He didn't keep on guarding himself and he was definitely influenced by the lawless culture that was around him. So there's another illustration. Then Peter says you'll lose. He says in this verse, uh, I think our verse says yes, he says lose. Carried away with the error of lawless lawless people and lose your own stability. So that worries us, we see that word lose and we're not talking about losing our salvation are we? No, no. We're. Steadfastness in the Christian life and salvation are two different things. So he's not talking about that any more than he's talking about that in Galatians 5.4, which is the other, one of the other places that we see this that it sometimes alarms us. Uh, verse 4 says, You were s- severed from Christ, you, you who would be justified by the law, you are fallen away from grace. So in other words, what happened to the, to the Galatians was they heard Paul's gospel they were convinced that they were justified by faith they believed that they were then he has to write back to them and say you know you've been influenced by these Judaizers are you so foolish as to think you began Christianity in the spirit now you're gonna carry on Christianity in the flesh doesn't work that way you you begin Christianity in the spirit and you carry on Christianity in the spirit it isn't just a matter that the works of the flesh can't save you in terms of salvation, it is that, but it's also a matter of that your works can't save you any day you, you get up in the morning. Only God's grace works in our hearts and helps us to follow His leading and to be uh, doing the things that He wants us to do. So we, so it was in this very context. I mean, this is the very type of thing. I, I, that's why I've taken some pains to show you this. Peter, Peter did this. Peter had this happen to him. It had to be a little bit painful as he wrote this because it happened to him. He was so sure that it couldn't happen to him. Look what he said in Mark 14, 29. This is in that same context where we were looking before, about that night before the crucifixion. Peter said to him, even though all shall fall away, I will not. He was so sure. He was so sure it couldn't happen to him. And I I would just say to you and to me this morning, if you're so sure it can't happen to you, you probably have already taken the first step towards it happening. It's only the people who are constantly watching and realizing, you know what? I know what I am. I know I'm a fallen creature. I know the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. I know that left to myself and apart from the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and those four props, I can't guarantee that I'll be six months from now where I may be today if I don't maintain that self-watch. Some of you might have heard of a book that Charles Spurgeon wrote. Um, to me, this is a classic, and uh, but it's called "Lectures to My Students." Some of you have heard of that book before. Some of you may have read it, but you may know Spurgeon had a college, and it was not a, not just a a secular college, it was a college for his ministerial students. And so, this book was actually taken from the lectures that he presented to, it's like going to preacher boys' class and having a a sermon or a lecture to them when he went each time, and this book was put together from that, lectures to my students. He has a chapter in that book that's called The Minister's Self-Watch the minister's self-watch. And one of the most important things that I think any minister can remember is it can happen to you. It need not, but it can. I was reading a story and I wanted just to communicate it It's very brief, but it was a man who had He was, this was told to him by a man who was just a, had been one of his professors in seminary, and uh, just a man meant a great deal to him in his life. He, He called him his beloved professor, but they were talking, and the man who was the beloved professor was telling him, he said, you know, we had another teacher here in the school. This is not a school you know. I don't even know the name of the school. But he said, you know, we had another teacher here in the school, another professor, and uh, seminary professor, and he was asked to resign. And so the beloved professor came up on him one day shortly after this had happened and saw him in the break room and asked him, just kind of with typical, typical forthrightness, he just said to him, what happened? this was his answer I stopped being in the word I stopped being in the word and folks you know what I draw from that is that anything I've told you this morning is not complicated I mean you don't have to pay $10,000 or $5,000 and go to some complicated seminar for somebody to tell you four simple things like church service, the word and fellowship. It's all stuff you've been hearing since Sunday school. But you know, those simple things, they're the things that count. And, and sometimes we kind of get along and take those things for granted and don't think how important they are. And mine, that's the same thing as take care. Your mother used to say that to you mine now. <laughs> you never heard that before? I heard that a lot. Mine now. Alright, so let's look at the next thing then. So the best defense, that's the second little saying, the best defense is a good offense. You know, there's a lot of truth to that. I have found this to be true. If you're always on the defense, the devil has you where he wants you. because The devil doesn't want you on the offense. Because if you're on the offense, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against. Jesus already promised that. If you're moving forward, if the church is moving forward, he's already promised even the gates of hell won't stop you. But if you're back on your haunches, if you're on the defense, ah, now he's he's gotten the beachhead. So the antidote is to grow. Look at what it says in verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord. So, Look, it's that simple. Beware, but grow. Beware, but grow. And the reason for this is, of course, is is a Christian who is not growing is slowing. And I said we'd get back to this, but 1 Peter 2.2, see, this concept of growth is important to him. All the way back in the first letter, he says, newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. To grow is to increase. Um, It can be used in agriculture or plants growing, so if you have a garden, you're eager to get out there and see if they're growing, and if you know, you've know got a tomato or whatever, something ripe, ready to pick. Or it can be used in other contexts, like the early church. They grew. They, they increased numerically. The Word of God continued to increase. That's it right there. The Word of God can increase. Boy, that's what we need the Word of God to do, is increase in our lives by being in it. In the present tense, but keep on growing go on growing points to the fact that this is a lifelong process you know you it's not enough to grow five weeks of the year it's not enough to have your devotions one day a week you have to keep at this we have to keep at this we have to be reminded because we're good forgetters and we're good at slipping away from the things that we've learned to know let's take these two things that he says in reverse order so First of all, knowledge, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Interesting knowledge. Knowledge has been important to Peter in this letter because false knowledge is kind of where the false teachers were coming from. So knowledge has been something he's talked about a great deal. I didn't give you all the verses there, but it's interesting to notice knowledge, I mean, a knowledge, a certain knowledge, is where the Christian life actually begins. Because John 17, 3 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. So it begins there, and that's the same thing he's saying in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. But it it, it, it begins there, but it deepens there. It goes on there. Knowledge always is important to us. What kind of knowledge? The knowledge of Jesus. Do you think of something that Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 3, that I may know him. And so as we're in the word and we're exposed to this, we deepen in our knowledge. But as I've said before, and we're going to close with this, come back now to grace. We need to grow in grace. And why? It's because grace is what God supplies because it takes diligence to do this and in and of ourselves, left to ourselves. We won't do it. But if we determine to do it, God will give us sufficient grace to do it. And so, that's really important. Chapter one, verses five through eight, giving all diligence, add to your faith. Remember we talked about that in those seven things that he gives there. Knowledge was one of them. But by God's grace, we can do those things. Beware and grow. That's a pretty simple formula, beware and grow. And maybe think about this in closing. This is uh, I, I, folks, I had this illustration planned before yesterday. Just looking to see who. <laughs> OK. Someone is likened the Christian life to riding a bike. You must keep moving forward or you will fall off. Just saying. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the time we've been able to spend together today. I pray that you will encourage us and help us now in the things that we've been able to look at this morning. And then, Lord, as we finish up next week, just continue to watch over us, Lord. Continue to impress upon us how important it is to maintain our own self-watch and not to get away from those simple things we've always known that keep us strong in you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.